Welcome back to PRSSA Podcast. My name is Basha. I'm a PR senior at Emerson College and the newly elected Vice President of Brand Engagement on the PRSSA National Committee. Today, I'm here with George Huff, the CEO of Opal. As CEO of Opal, George Huff leads a MarTech platform used by well-known brands like Target, Starbucks, Whole Foods, 3M, and SAP. Opal's content operations platform produces exceptional results, such as enabling Target to tell their story and create 300 pieces of content every day. George's career began in design and technology, but his curiosity about how captivating brands create stories led to the formation of Opal. He surrounds himself with talented individuals and empowers them to find the best solutions. Under George's leadership, Opal continually innovates to help brands drive results and create meaningful connections with their customers. Hi, George. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on our podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's dive right into the questions. Your career has been centered around business, technology, and design. How did that lead you to becoming an entrepreneur and founding Opal? That is a question uh, that probably goes back, uh, or at least the answer for it probably goes all the way back to growing up. My A lot of my family members had their own small businesses. So having your own business was, was kind of in my family DNA. And I was also really enamored with big business uh, as, a, as a kid. So I, was, I would look at like, you know, the big brands and stuff and, and kind of to set the scene a little bit more. I grew up in a, in a small town in Alaska. And so those big businesses were kind of like my portal into like the real world, so to speak, right? Because, you know, you're very isolated, uh, 8,000 people on an island. And so, you know, just seeing these big businesses, I was just really fascinated with them. And after school, I went to college at uh, Oregon State University and studied just a generic, got a generic business degree, took some media and communications classes, but like was like a self-taught web designer. Really put, put, like at that time, and this is like circa mid 2000, uh, like 2005, 2006, something like that. Getting into the, getting into the world, you know, I, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go start my own business right away. It was like, I just need a job. And, and what I knew how to do from a practical sense was like build websites and in doing that kind of warmed my way into different situations. And one of those situations was, you know, uh, well, I'll, I'll say that I kind of immediately about two years in my career started my own agency, which was like doing the exact same thing I did, but like cutting out the other middleman so I didn't have to work for someone. It turns out, I, I don't know if I'm employable or not, but um, the thing that got me going for real is like an agency is definitely its own business. And some people go on to build big, great agency businesses, but I didn't think that was my path. I really wanted to start a software company. I like the business model, but, you know, putting myself in situations where I was able to kind of be ground level with problems that, that people had. And in this case, you know, at that time, if you're a, if you're a, a, an internet geek in 2007, 2008, 9, 10, you're, you're kind of like really, really useful to, to marketing folks who are sort of getting, getting their feet wet with digital marketing. And even though I don't feel like I knew a lot about digital marketing, I knew enough to be useful to some people that were, were making those jumps. And, and, and so I kind of found myself in more of a consultative position, but when it, social exploded, you have to remember like back then there was like no governance around anything and it was all organic. And so um, one of the examples I often talk about is like Nike circa 2012 has 500, 600 global social media accounts. And I found myself in a position where I got to observe firsthand the chaos that ensues when you're a large brand trying to put together like a lot of stories across time and across spaces. And that the orchestration of that 
how the energy that went into that and sort of like all the minefields of it really inspired me to take a crack at that problem with Opal. Um, and that's been the, the mission I've been on ever since. And it's been uh, about 10 years for me. Oh, wow. That sounds great. Thank you for such an elaborate answer. I think that gave a good look into your background and how that all happened. So let's get back to Opal. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Give me a pitch. <laughs> what is Opal? Opal is a platform for coordinating all the different moving pieces of, of marketing. I think about it, I like, I like the word orchestrating the different pieces of marketing so that you can make sure that, you know, like it kind of takes the, the heavy lifting pieces of it, of staying organized and staying aligned. It makes those easier. And if you make those easier, you get an opportunity as a marketer to really focus on quality and specificity uh, in, in terms of your marketing message. And when you do that, you do better marketing. Point blank, right? You create a better customer experience. So yeah, that's that's really what it is. It's a place to kind of hold your like organizational brain of what you're going to do in marketing so that you can focus on the customer experience and, and really break through. Right. And I know there's a lot of different marketing platforms or platforms that kind of do a similar thing. So why do you think there's a need for such tool? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I, I, I disagree with that statement to the extent that um, there are um, platforms that are like right, like really, really close. Like if you think about like um, proximity to the consumer, right? There is a lot of platforms where you're working on, like you literally can hit send in that platform and put a message in front of a consumer, right? And they have a certain set of tools that help you do that. Lots of platforms out there that do that. Opal doesn't do that, right? We don't, we don't even, like our proximity to the consumer is pretty far away. Like we're actually um, upstream from that, right? It's all about that mm -hmm. like internal work that goes on to create good content. Now, um, for small teams, like you may not need something like Opal because it's just overkill for what you do. Um, but there's really nothing that's what I would call specific and purpose-built for this upstream space. What people tend to do that are our competitors, um, it's it's a lot of generic tools that you've heard of, right? It's the Asanas, it's the Jiras, it's the Workfronts, uh, Airtable Monday. Those are the kind of tools that people use today. But again, those are generic tools where marketing is a use case. Marketing is why we exist. And so I think our point of view on it is different because we have that, that sort of idea that um, if you're in marketing the best marketing you can create is when you have like the closest ability to be in the shoes of your customer. So if you write a, a headline in a spreadsheet, right. And you go, okay, cool. The headline's written. It's very different than if like you see that headline written in an email and you can actually like see it and feel it. And so everything we do is visual and it's really about bringing that um, consumer experience to life for everybody that touches the marketing process so that everybody can focus on the, the consumer um, versus being like, you know, wherever they do that um, work. Mm -hmm. Okay, sounds good. So it's mainly a marketing tool, from what I understand. Is there a way that PR professionals could also leverage Opal? Yeah, um, that, that's a great question. So I would say probably 30% of our business is comms customers. And comms kind of holding PR um, and, and internal, in, internal comms and external comms. And so, because it, it, like it's really marketing is is different in the sense that your channels you use might be different or your um your audience might be different but like at the end of the day it's all about writing messages and getting people aligned on it right so you know one of our big customers is, is 3m and they've got like you think how big 3m is how many different business units are in 3m like it's a massive massive global company 
But for them, being able to kind of coordinate everything that's going out in PR on a week over week basis is immensely valuable to them. And so they use it for that. Now, does that mean that they're like writing every, um, well, PR is not a press release, but like things like press releases or even like going, not every little bit of uh, someone who's in PR's work would be an Opal, but the parts that matter to the coordination of the business would absolutely be an Opal. Right. Sounds good. Okay. So let's talk a bit more about the entrepreneurship side. Uh, oh, oh boy. Oh. This is, this is the, this is the fun question. You got to start coming with these hard hitting questions. I thought you were going to really bring it to me, but let's see where this one goes. <laughs> what do you think is the key to creating a successful company or a startup? Holy smokes. Where do I start? I've tried many, many things over the years um, before Opal. And I think that your business is always going to start in different places. You know, so I don't know if this is universally true, but what I found to be true, at least in the things that I've tried to start, I've always been fascinated more so with B2B than B2C. And not because like, I don't think B2C companies are cool. Like I wish that I invented like a really neat piece of luggage that people paid a premium for, like away travel or something like that. But I didn't, I, I didn't really do that. I knew I was, I knew how to make software. So B2B is kind of where I ended up. And in, in B2B, at least there, one of the, the really valuable lessons that I learned is, is starting with something that is a pain pill versus a vitamin. That was some of the best advice that I ever, or like best framing that I had ever had. Like I, we, we built some products that were like nice to haves and, and that pain pill versus vitamin framing is, is really helpful. And once we figured out the pain pill product, like our business took off. And so that's kind of what I said at the beginning of like getting close to a problem. If you get close enough to a problem that you like truly understand and can truly design a solution for it, then you give yourselves an opportunity to be successful. Now you also have to kind of pull your head out of the sand and say like, does this apply to other people or is this so bespoke to one? If you're just solving a bunch of bespoke problems for businesses, then you're probably an agency and you're not a software company. But if you want to start a software company, solving a pain point for many organizations is really helpful. And, and I can't tell you like, how many people are like passionate about their, their, their vitamin idea. And you kind of like, are like, like, I don't want to burst your bubble, but you know, sometimes you got to burst those folks bubble because it's, it's a path that is, ends up being a futile one. And I've been on that path. So I know it well, that's like the starting piece of it. As far as sustaining it, um, you know, you got to pay attention to what the masters say. Um, and one of my favorite quotes that I'll paraphrase and, and jumble is, is by uh, jobs. And Jobs said something along, along the lines of like, the thing that separates the entrepreneurs who are successful versus who aren't are the successful ones don't give up. And I think you just have to have this like raw tenacity about you and, and this ability to weather storm after storm after storm after storm, because building a business is not easy. Another good framing is like, sorry, I'm just like bestowing all these like other people's ideas on you, but I, they're like things I, I think about often and live by, but you know, it's, it's that illusion of freedom that comes with owning your own company or the illusion of safety that comes with working for someone else. We are, we are no more safe uh, working for someone else as we are for ourselves. We are no more free working for someone as, as for ourselves. Um, and, and so, yeah, you kind of have to have this all in approach to starting a company and, and, and just like try, 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 try. And you'll find lots of, and you'll learn lots along the way about yourself, about what you're doing, um, all that kind of thing. Wow. Okay. That sounds great. I love the analogy of the vitamin and the pain pill. What were some of the most challenging aspects of bringing Opal to life? You know how, like, when you when when I say, oh, um, th these people started a tech company. Like, tell me the picture that's in your mind when they started a tech company. Tell me, like, the first, like, 30 days of that. 
What's that look like to you? Um, 30 days of starting a tech company. Yeah. Like what, like what picture, like, do you see a picture in your head? Who are those people? What do they look like? Where are they? I'm picturing probably a team of people. If it's tech, probably in front of computers, running mm -hmm. around, working, brainstorming ideas. It's probably a little bit chaotic at the mm -hmm. beginning in my head. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I asked that question because I think there's like a, a standard way of doing it and there's the way that we did it. So you asked the question of yeah. like what was hard about it. But like in at the time I had an agency that was basically making enough money for us to spend a little bit of our energy on a tech company and the rest of the energy that you needed to be, needed we we earned. And so like our daytime, like we were we were sort of like uh, we had like secret identities, right? Like in the daytime, we were like agency owners and we worked on our agency, like our client projects. Right. Um, and then at nighttime we would work like off until like three, four in the morning on starting Opal. Um, oh, wow. and so it was hard about our journey and it was, and it was a unique one. And I bring that up because I asked you that question because it was so unique that we were, we were trying to cross this chasm of being an agency and going to being a technology company. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people try to do that and that story and how many people fail at it. And, and we just happen to work hard enough and not give up enough. So like in that are so many stories like, okay, we obviously crossed that chasm, but like, what did it cost us? Um, what did it cost us? You know, I, I lovingly tell a story about being like an email away from, from bankruptcy because I was like so over leveraged across both businesses um, where I'm, I've raised a little bit of capital for Opal, probably like $175,000 from friends and family. And then I have my agency business where I only have like three months accounts receivable in the bank to pay like, you know, the dozen people that work on the agency that made the money so I could afford to even work on this other thing. And so there were just mm -hmm. these, uh, and I had, a, and I had a young daughter and I had another daughter on the way in that moment. And I could go on of like more horror stories around this, but like stuff is to say, it's just insanely hard to get something off the ground because it takes, and this is why the best time to start a company and almost like also the worst time in a way is like being young enough to be able to make the sacrifice because mm -hmm. as you get older, I think you're, I, I say it's the worst too, because I think as you get older, you get wisdom, right? Because of a cumulative experience in your career. But you're, when you're younger, you just have the ability to kind of like, you can move to LA for a summer or, you mm -hmm. know, like you could like, you could go pursue something. You could join in an accelerator for, you know, six months or whatever it is. And so, yeah, I think, you know, be prepared to sacrifice. And I think the, the further along your life's progress, whether that's like a, a significant other or children, a dog, a house, whatever, like those things um, kind of inhibit your ability to put total focus into something. But yeah, I had a business I was running. I had to keep it going and, and pay for my livelihood. And then I had this other business that was my dream. Um, and yeah, I just don't give up on anything. I'm a dog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds great. It sounds like a lot of work, but that was also great advice for, I think, a lot of people who are listening who are still students and are young, so they have that space to maybe start their own business. On your LinkedIn, you say that great teams change the world. What exactly does that mean to you? You know, um, I have this, like, act of my... Um, mind like amusement in the half-life of ideas or statements or phrases right and that is one that I've had on my LinkedIn LinkedIn profile for probably like nine or nine years or something right um, I've just never changed it and and I 
often, yeah, I don't really spend much time on LinkedIn because it's just like, it's like almost like overwhelming for me, but to go in and see my profile and see that that's there. And then I go like, do I still believe that thing? Do I, is that still a thing that I, um, that I hold dear? And, and it absolutely is. And in fact, I would say that Opal's a company that has definitely had, you know, its challenges, especially in the middle years. Right. And, and we're kind of in this Renaissance period now. And if I said, well, what is, why are we having this Renaissance period as a company? And I would say it's because our team, we are acting as a team. It really comes down to that, right? One Opal team. And when you're one team, you collaborate better, you spend more time sweating the details. And I think it's when you're like really in that team mind state and that people aren't kind of like clutching everything to their chest and worried about their jobs and worried about judgment and worried about who thinks what and saying the wrong thing that you have, you have the ability to produce the best work. And it's really that I think that, that breaks through in the world. So when I look at that statement and it says great teams change the world, I think, you know, you look back on anything great and I, there's a team at the heart of that. And, and you may not hear about the team because we idolize individuals, at least in American culture, but every time there's a team, you can't produce anything great without a team. Except for right. maybe a hit song. Maybe there's people that can like write a hit <laughs> song, but you know, outside of music. <laughs> of course. And I can imagine that in such team, communication plays a big part. So how do you ensure good communication with your team? Such a fascinating question, because um, I think as, as the leader of the company, ultimately, everybody patterns off of you, right? And and so it's not like, oh, well, I follow these six processes or these six steps. It's like, how do I show up every single day in every single meeting? And if I'm... And being a CEO, you really have to be cognizant of the weight of your position within the company. So like, for instance, if I'm an asshole, I'll just use the frank term, um, then other people will be that way too internally. And that will ultimately lead people to saying what they think less because they're worried and they have fear. And so, you know, you really have to create this inclusive environment and it starts at the top. It's probably like one of the most important things you can do as a leader is create an inclusive environment where you are literally bringing everybody into the tent. Because um, some people are not naturally predisposed to trust. They're not naturally predisposed to sharing their opinions. They may be introverted, extroverted, whatever. You have to kind of create an environment. And if you create the right environment, then I think I think communication can flow. So that's that's how I think about it, at least from a from my my role. Now, if you're in an organization where it just feels like no one's communicating. That's really, you don't have a lot of, you don't have a big stick for leverage if you're just entering the, the workforce, but how you carry yourself remain the same all the way through your career. Right. And if you can kind of focus on being a, a glue person and bringing people together, you know, those people, I love those people. I see those people in my organization. I'm like, Yes, you know, like you're doing that work that's that makes you so much more valuable than your title. You know, you're really and, and I think that's the stuff that builds team bonds, going back to what we were talking about a second ago. Mm -hmm. It's great that you mentioned your leadership role at Opal, because that's a great transition to my next question, which is what does your day-to-day -day look like? Being the CEO of Opal, well, I'll just say like being the CEO in general, I think is, um, I once had another CEO describe it to me best. And I, I live by the wisdom of others. When people draw org charts, they're usually drawing pyramids, right? So it's like the CEO's at the top of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. And it, and it kind of makes it sound like 
the CEO like decides every decision and knows everything about everything. And I think it's like, I understand why it's drawn that way, but he explained it to me as like an inverted pyramid where the org is working and anything that is hard just sort of like continues to fall through the pyramid until it gets to the, the bottom of this inverted <laughs> pyramid. And that's the CEO. And I think that it just means that the hardest problems in the organization are really where the CEO should focus. And so in my day-to-day, -day, I think about, because like I come from, a, I'm a doer, right? Like I started as a web designer, right? Like I know how to program, I can design, I can write, I can do all these pr pr production-oriented things. And I actually get a lot of joy out of, of creativity. But if I'm doing all that stuff all the time, then I'm kind of like doing other people's jobs. And so as the CEO, it took a while for me to get comfortable with like not being busy with a bunch of tasks and, and saying like, it's okay for me to have space in my day. So like, I don't sit there and try to like fill every minute of every day with like something that is busy. I actually try to create, I shouldn't say I try to create, I should say that when I'm not busy, I, it's like space that is created for my mind to kind of like wander and think about the whole and it's like this really weird, like doing something by doing nothing thing that I think is like really, really critical for a CEO to do in order to understand their, their own vision and where they want things to go. And then kind of end up translating a lot of that in your day to day and stuff like that. But yeah, that's sort of uh, another long, intricate answer to your questions. <laughs> imagine, right. imagine working with me. <laughs> right. No, creative people need some time to sit and do nothing sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my next question is that OPPO is a great tool for marketers. It's a marketing tool, but while mm -hmm. working at OPPO, uh, what is one professional tool that you cannot live without? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, the communications tools I use all the time, right? And I think we all do like our text messaging tool gets used more than our photos app. But would you say that you love your text messaging tool more than your photos app? Like, I don't know if you would, right? <laughs> Just because you use it more. So I, for communication, I use Slack a ton. Email is largely useless to me because it's just like filled with, so, I mean, like one in like 50 emails is probably something that I actually need to engage with. So email is just like a really, really hard medium. So I, I really like Slack, like in that style of communication internally at our organization. I'm a huge keynote fan, probably just like going back to my agency days. Like I love a good deck and like a good story. So I, I do like that. We use con. You said one tool. I'm just kind of going through like what we use. No, go we ahead. Use we use Confluence. We write internal documentation and in or internal like blog posts and stuff for that. And and recently, I've been kind of like dusting off my design shops and playing around Figma. So amazing design product that they've built uh, over there, and that's been really fun to kind of you know I'm a, I'm an old Photoshop uh, guy, and then my team's mm -hmm. moved to Sketch and. And I was like, oh, I want to try this Figma thing out. And it's been pretty cool too. So yeah, I think that's a good mix of things. <laughs> right. Sounds good. A lot of our listeners are PR students or young professionals just entering the job market. So mm -hmm. I was wondering what advice would you give to students or young professionals? Like what career advice? You know, I think that we are all entrepreneurs now. And I don't mean that in the sense that you're going to start your own business, but you are your business that you're starting, right? Your career. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're trying to find a job, it's just so much different than when you're like trying, like that framing versus like trying to start a career. And if you think about yourself as your own business and, you know, 
What separates, I think, the people that are really successful from the ones that aren't are the people that are really, really intentional and really, really strategic. And what I mean by that is that they actually do the work of thinking about a job that they're applying for. They actually go for jobs that they truly actively have thought about rather than like filling a gap in their life and saying, I just need a job. You know what I mean? And so, and then, and then when you think about that, you go, well, I want to be at this kind of a company. And I've read about, you know, different like, or like think about like different company sizes, like what fits how you want to operate. Right. Or is it like a brand that you gravitate towards to? Like when you actually go for that, be really, really strategic about how you do it. Like how do you separate yourself from the pack? Like really thinking about your cover letter, really thinking about your job interview, really thinking about how to be creative with like how you set yourself apart. I think those are things that at least like I wish someone would have told me um, when I got started because I think I approached it in kind of a generic way. And I just think it it's better to be creative and take chances and get to know that way than to like, just like get passed on because you were so generic and in, in how you approached it. And so, yeah, like just creativity, I think at the end of the day, like makes you stand out. Um, and then once you get your foot in the door, I would say that uh, being willing to put in the work always, you know, like a lot of people are like, oh, work-life balance and all this stuff. I'm like, great, great for you. But like, I think that when people separate work and life, it caps their potential. And I don't mean that in like an unhealthy way because you obviously need to take breaks and pace yourself. I've just never really liked that phrase. Not because like, I, I just, I support that. It's like, I support the spirit of it, right? You have to be balanced in things. But I think that when you find something that you love to do, it is no longer work it is your life. And when you pursue it like that, you're willing to put in the work that makes you successful. And so, yeah, if you really want to be successful in your career, that's how you have to approach it in my opinion. Wow, thank you. This is all great advice and a very interesting take that we're all entrepreneurs. And to kind of wrap it up, the last question, which is a question I really like to ask everyone. Uh, what is your favorite memory from working at OPPO? It can be like your proudest moment or a funniest one or anything mm -hmm. else that was memorable. You're, you're asking me to pick my favorite memory out of a decade of this thing. Okay. You, can, you can pick two. I can pick two. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you give me, you say one, and I always go three. No, I, I. There's a real hero's journey to Opal's story, right? And I think that we all know that story, right? Like you start off, you have some success, you fall on hard times, you have despair. All of a sudden, like you see like that shimmer of hope, some green shoots, and then you're like off and running again. And so, the valley of despair sucks. I don't have a lot of good memories from like that period, but I'll I'll kind of give you two. So we had launched some stuff at Opal where we were trying to like, we were trying to start a software company, but we had a bunch of vitamins. And once we trained our sites on this particular problem, we, we took off, as I said. And so the, when we launched our first customers with this new thing, and I looked at our dashboards and I saw that week over week was like this perfect bell curve of usage. I was like, oh my God, we've actually done it, right? We've actually, we actually got something here. So there was like mm -hmm. that moment. And that was like major. And I'm actually, I'll leave it too. The second moment, we just had an amazing, amazing time. Um, we do Opal Camp once a year. We're a remote company. Um, and so we fly everybody into Oregon. We're from Portland. We're like originally headquartered in Portland. And we flew them out to, flew them out to Portland. Um, we all stayed out at Skamania Lodge, which is on the Columbia River Gorge. Beautiful place. Um, rented a bunch of rooms and everyone stayed. And 
we did a pride celebration and it was pride bingo and it was such a fun night and at the end we took a picture and it felt like if going back to the team thing we were talking about it felt like that you could just feel that whatever that is that magic quality and that's always what i'm striving for in culture right and so it felt like this moment where like our culture was like finally right that was really cool because we put a lot of energy into you know, kind of getting this company back to fighting form. And it kind of was like this like line in the sand of like, okay, we got this. And that was really, really cool. And there's this photo, it's on our social media, I think even, and I'm sitting like cross-legged in the front and there's like this like whole crew behind me. And yeah, it was really, really cool. Wow, those sounds like amazing moments. Well, thank you so much, George, for joining us today. Thank you to all our listeners. If you would like to give Opal a try, George's team created a unique link, opal.show slash PRSSA, so that you can get a free trial. And stay tuned for more podcasts coming soon. Thank you so much.